Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with New Radio Media. We'll spend the next hour talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. And this week, we are joined by a new friend of the show, Jordan Jason. How do we'll you like start it? I couldn't even remember his name. Practiced and got it wrong. Jason, let's start again. Jason, how are you today? I'm doing great, Rabbi. Thanks for having me. Oh, it is greatly, greatly appreciated. We're going to have lots of fun. Um, the weather's gotten a little better, a little warmer, no snow out. Sure, sure. A lot of things people could be doing on Sunday, but they're tuning in listening to you. Yes, they're tuning, listening to us, to you. And by the way, if you'd like to join our conversation, you can call us at 844-999-9249. That's 844 999 9249, and it has come to my attention that some people have mixed up the numbers. If you get the numbers in the wrong order, you will not get through to the show. It's just fact. It's just one of those things that happens. So before we get with all the stuff to talk about, um, hopefully they'll put this up. I got this cool brochure over here. This okay. was produced by the high school of the girls in Yeshiva Starchi Torah. It is a, a, like a brochure for a Chinese auction. Have you ever heard of a Chinese auction? What on earth is a Chinese auction? What is a Chinese auction? So, you, have you ever, ever been to an auction? You know how an auction works? Yeah, of course. You bid on items you want. You bid on items it's you exciting. want. exciting. Very exciting. This is, I guess, in the, in the realm of a silent auction is okay. almost what they call it. So, what happens is you have all these prizes, and let's say you want, uh, I don't know, you want, this is really for children, almost. All this stuff is for children, some some gift certificates, what do they have in here? I mean, we, we run the gamut. Uh, Lego set, electric kettle, Pilates. And it's Hamilton for fundraising Beach. for the Yeshiva High School. Actually, no. We're going to get there what it's for. It's fascinating. It's really for the Passover season, uh, Brother Wireless Inkjet Printer. Not bad, but I just got a, a, a laser jet. Not a laser jet. The, uh, what do you call those things? The toner ones? The... Uh, the laser printers. Laser printer. We'll go with that. Anyways, so if you only want one or two prizes, you buy the ticket for those one or two prizes, and you put it in that box. You want more prizes, you put in more. And the cost for tickets, the high-end prizes are like $5. But a lot of stuff is a dollar, $0.50, cents, $0.75. Cents. So the high school girls run the whole thing. They produce it. They have to get the stuff, they raise the money, they run the auction, and the money actually all goes. Now, money is going to be an important word for the end of the show, so keep that word in mind. Um, it actually goes to for poor people for Passover. Passover is coming. We're going to talk about Passover, and uh, people don't have enough money, unfortunately. They're a pretty expensive holiday. A Chinese auction for Passover is something that you probably wouldn't have thought about years and years ago, but I like it. Yeah, Chinese auction for Passover. We have to, I, I got I to gotta mention that to them. It's a Chinese auction for Passover. Almost like Chinese food for Jews on Christmas, but that was a different show we did. But that is a good connection between the Chinese and the Jewish. Well done. Excellent. So um, that threw me for a loop. Okay, here we go. Anyways, uh, just a, a curious question for you. Uh, would you like to guess how much money they raise for this little project? Oh, I couldn't guess. Any amount they raise is good. Any amount they raise is good. Uh, they actually raise between fifteen and $16,000. Wow. 
And this is just high school girls. The administration is not involved. I mean, they take care of the money. They find who to give it to. We can't have high school girls giving away money. But um, it's a lot of matzah. It's a lot of matzah. A lot of wine, a lot of matzah, which, by the way, reminds me of a great story. But we're saving that also for the end of the show. So with all the things to talk about, first we should talk about Jason. Jason, Jason, right? Jason is the name. It would be very embarrassing if I keep getting the name wrong. But I've done it to other people. Don't feel bad. I tell my class, I've taught a good 22, 23 years. So I've taught children, brothers, brothers, older brothers, younger brothers. So I tell the children, I say, look, if I call you by your brother's name, just answer me. Because I'm talking to you, but I can't remember your name, your brother's name. We get confused. And they get used to it. They say, I'm Chaim, not Yankel. That's my brother. Oh, okay, very good. And we figured it out slowly but surely. But in any case, Jason is a graduate of Hillel Day School right here in Metropolitan Detroit. Good memories from Hillel? I would say it's one of the things that makes me the man I am today, Rabbi. Good memories, a step along the way. A step along the way. Lots of Torah knowledge, I hope. You can share some of that Torah knowledge with us as we delve into this week's Torah portion. I think you said it best, Rabbi. You said you are, you are a third grade teacher. My Hebrew level, or my Torah knowledge, is going to be at third grade or below level. Third grade is good. I have a lot of people that third grade would be excellent. So we're going to talk first, because you're also an engineer by trade. Uh, we're going to talk about the tabernacle. So first I'm going to draw you a picture. Um, I know everyone watching can see the tabernacle pictures that are flashing before your eyes. I'm going to describe it for you. And you as an engineer, just let me know if there's some issues. So first okay. you have this building. The building is made up of, uh, we'll call them pillars. If that's the wrong word, let me know. You have a tree. You square it out, more like a rectangle. So it's approximately three feet by two feet. It's a pretty thick. That's a big tree. Pretty thick tree. And let's call it approximately 20 feet high. Okay. There's going to be 20 of these on one wall. Wow. We'll call that the north wall. There'll be another 20 on the south wall. We're going to have these big sockets, big silver sockets that will be, we'll call them about two feet high and uh, probably, whatever it is, six, seven inches around. And there'll be like pegs that the uh, these big boards will slide into. Okay. So there's going to be 40 of those sockets under each wall. Okay. We're also going to have a wall in the back. It's going to be eight boards back there. So now we're imagining a humongous C. We can also imagine, by the way, our letter of the day, which we'll get to later in our show, I hope. So you're imagining this humongous C, 20 feet tall, pretty thick, humongous beams. Now we gotta connect all these beams together because we want the building to stand. So we're gonna have um, four outside poles on each side. So you'll have 10 beams held together by two boards, two like poles going through a bunch of rings. Okay. So you got 10 of those. And then the next 10, so there's four outside poles. On the other side, also four outside poles. In the back, four outside poles. So we got these poles that are sort of holding the walls together. We're also going to have gold. Gold. Gold, I'm calling them rings, but since our our pillars are really square, they're going to be like squarish rings, and they're going to slide in on top to connect each 
each two poles, each two pillars. I'm sorry, together. So far, so good. You're following. Um, I'm, I'm with you still. Okay. You're, the, you're, you're wondering. Who... Here we have some questions. I actually do have a question. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering. I was saying, like, what exactly are you trying to describe? I mean, I guess I'm. I was born and raised Catholic, so I, I don't. Right. So the tabernacle. I'm, I appreciate you asking that, Tony. It's important. In the desert, we're traveling. And God says, you have to build a building for me. And that building is called the tabernacle. And God's presence will rest in the tabernacle. And the Jewish people, by tribes, surround the whole building. Okay. Yeah, Jason? So I'm with you. And as an engineer, my question would be, and you just answered one of them, is you, you asked, how do we define if the building has structural integrity? What's the building designed to do? Where is it going to be placed? It's in the desert. It's in the desert. It's in the middle of a big sandy area. Okay. So right High now, winds, probably. There could be winds. But we're not done yet. Okay. That's just the wall. So there's, there's really no front wall. There's no front wall. We have a north and south wall and a west wall. Okay. Also, to give it a little more support, miraculously, there's a pole that goes through all three walls. That means it has to make two left turns. Same uh, pole. Yeah, it goes through like the center of the pole. That's a miraculous whatever. Let's take it as word. Okay. Take it as it is. Now, on top of this now open sea-like structure, we're going to have three sets of curtains. We're going to have like a tapestry, which is going to be t- really it's two sets of five panels, which will hang all the way over the sides. That's, okay. that's, um, that's curtain number one. Behind curtain number two, no. Then on top, it's going to be like a goat's hair curtain. That'll also come all the way down the sides. And then on top, probably not down the sides, is a leather, like rolled out, beautiful, multicolored, just leather cover. Okay. That is how the building was built. Now, And that's how the Bible describes it being that's built. That's exactly how the Bible describes it. So you as an engineer, does that work for you? I, I got a lot of questions about this tabernacle, Rabbi. I, I'm ready. I, you know, the structural integrity of the tabernacle in what it's designed to do, okay? The tabernacle is designed to hold people for worship, correct? Well, interesting enough, the tabernacle really just held vessels. The ark is in there in the back end. Then there's a dividing curtain. Then there's the menorah, like the lamp. There's the table with the showbread. And then there's a small golden altar. People went in a little, but not a lot. And there is nothing more holy than the items inside the ark. Nothing more holy. So you would think that all, you wouldn't, no money would be spared, no design would be spared to protect what's in that ark. Correct. Why isn't there an east wall? Well, that's the front door. That's how you get in. There's going to be a curtain hanging over the front wall, and you walk, you, I guess, slide the curtain over, and the priest or the high priest will go in and do whatever work has to be done in the tabernacle. Also, the materials. We talked about using gold and silver. These are pretty soft metals. Yeah, so the, the beams were actually wood covered in gold. Ah, but okay. the But the sockets are solid silver. And the, those rings on top are just plain gold. It doesn't say anything that there's other alloys mixed in to give them any real strength. It sounds like it's just plain, pure gold. That's what it sounds like. That's what the, that's what the Bible has, has asked us to believe, or that's what they're telling us is yes. the materials. Yes. So yeah, to me, that sounds like a really soft metal and uh, not one that any engineer would have chosen for this design. All right, w- w- but if you built this building at that height and you have all these curtains hanging over, would it stand? 
It's tough to say. Where's the lateral stability also? Where there, where there, were, no, there were no angled poles. No angled poles, no, no support beams across the top. Its only hope is that magical rod that you talked about going the sea all the way around all three walls. You see, you call it magical. I would rather you say apologize. miraculous. Apologize. Miraculous is a good word. So I just needed to check that uh, that's really what's going on over here, that it's only standing miraculously. Forgetting about that this tabernacle w- was uh, portable. So you would take it apart. You'd have some wagons to put the beams on. However, two, two foot by three foot square or rectangular beams, 40 on each wall, portable. There's 20 on each wall, and they're, each wall. and they're each 20 feet long. As a mobile building. Uh, you got to question that design also. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess you pile up the, these beams on a couple wagons because the vessels were carried. I, I just don't even know how they got any of the beams up in the first place. Like, just imagine in your mind, this is basically a tree that's mm-hmm. 20 feet long, pretty thick, and you got to get it standing up and then get its neighbor next to it lined up. I imagine there were a lot of risks taken in that building. There was no OSHA at that time. Yeah, OSHA would not have been happy. No, no. OSHA is something I'm sure you get to deal with a lot, but no. No, no OSHA, no nobody. But this was a portable building. It was. It seems it was taken apart and built, I will say, in the 40-time range over a 40-year period, of which half that period, it was actually in the same location. So it's tough to question. I, I would question the design as an engineer. Note for our listeners, I'm a naval engineer. That's my background. Nautical, okay. boat designer, not building designer, as a civil engineer would be. But I think we take it for the, the tabernacle did work as designed. It did function as designed according to the Bible. Right. It did work. But I don't think any engineer who's paying attention would actually agree to say that it's working. That's very hard to imagine that, uh, that it could work. So if it's working... I'm sorry, if is the wrong word. Not if it's working. The fact that it worked was miraculous. Right. I, mean, we were I talk- would agree with that. Yeah, we were talking earlier, even the ark itself is problematic because you have, a, you have these three boxes, an inner wooden box. I mean, sorry, a wooden box with an inner gold box, an outer gold box. We talked about how we casted uh, rings to the outside of the gold box of the ark. Okay. And you had an interesting question for me about that casting. I was just trying to place the time period of these castings to the time period of what we know as the Bronze Age, the Iron Age, other metal castings throughout the world. Oh, that's interesting. So this story takes place about 3,300 years ago. So, But I don't know when the Bronze Age was. I'm going to assume that metal casting was a process they used at the time, which, which in, in itself is miraculous that they had the technology, some hand carver, some artisan to cut a mold, to gate it properly. There's gases that come up when you cast metal. Uh, it's can be advanced. So there was some artisan who knew all those calculations in his head. That's cool, because I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> but but, I, but <laughs> it's just not one of the things I do as far as uh, working with metal. I work with children, and I may mold children. But You're an uh, artisan with children. I'm an artisan with children. And adults, too, but uh, yeah, not, not with the metals. But um, So we have this arc, which is fine. You have some poles, and we got the two tablets in there. That's all fine. But there's also this slab of gold. I tell you, the slab of gold is about uh, uh, three feet, maybe, by two feet, and it's about three inches or four inches thick. And uh, I don't know what the weight would be off the top of my head. Heavy. Heavy. (laughs) Very heavy. So if you casted these rings into gold, and we have some poles to hold up this 
humongously heavy box. I mean, what should happen to those rings that are that are that again, are there? Again, I just I'd question that they were actually pure gold. I think that we would, if they were pure gold and they were holding up the entirety of that box, I think we should also take it as miraculous. I accept. Yeah, because that's you know sometimes we find interesting answers or good answers. This one I got no answers. So we uh, we yeah, what's the matter, Tony? Well, actually, it was more of a question in relation, I guess, to the ark and the tabernacle. Um, now you say the tabernacle is the pl- the dwelling place or where God is supposed to be. Did they keep anything? I guess I know you're not really supposed to have any symbols, but did they keep anything in the tabernacle? Like I, I guess as opposed to like I know the ark of the covenant, they keep the sacred scripture and. Right, so the, the Ark is in the back and in the holiest room. Mm-hmm. That's the Ark, which we're describing, which has the two tablets on it. There's a what's called a menorah, mm-hmm. like, a, like, a, like a, a candelabra, I guess yeah. you would call it, and a table for the showbread. There were some what we call vessels, but certainly there won't be what you would call an icon or pictures. All that's completely off limits Okay. In general, forget yeah, about found, that building. I found that interesting, just because I know, like I said, as I being raised Catholic, that to them, that's like, that's where they keep the body of Christ. To them, at least. Right. No, I understand. So that, yeah, that, this that building is nothing. Yeah. Okay. this building's got nothing. Okay, so as we move along with different topics, and today we we talk about the tabernacle. We got to talk about how many times it's been repeated. Which is many times. We got to talk about the builders. We'll talk about Sabbath. We got to talk about mirrors. I think it's great that we've got all these items to talk about. And I think we all enjoyed as much as we want to keep talking about metals. It was definitely time to transition. But that'll take us into, a, I think, a short break. And uh, I think we have a lot of interesting topics to talk about when we get back. But until then, we'll say, go take a break, guys. And then let's talk Torah with Rabbi Tzvi when we return. Want to stay informed, entertained, and enlightened? Get connected and stay connected today to New Radio Media. The New Radio Media app is now available for download in the Apple and Google Play Store. Just search for NRM Streams for unlimited access to archived, live, new, exciting, and unique content. Welcome to Geektainment Weekly, all for free. Do it now. Stay connected. And action. And millions of ducks. Two guys go to newradiomedia.com. The Arts and Entertainment Channel on New Radio Media. Dot com. What's going on in your neighborhood? They say it takes a village. It's the simple things. The things that are a testament to the old. The things that are a testament to the new. Know what's going on in your community. Check out our community channel on newradiomedia.com. It's all about you, and that's the way we like it. Where you're going. What you do to stay fit. What you're eating. What you're thinking. 
and how you're feeling. Join the conversation at NewRadioMedia.com's Lifestyles channel. Stream the life you want to live. Okay, you gotta love Dayenu. You gotta love Dayenu getting us ready for Passover. We're gonna talk about Passover. But before we get to Passover, we love trending news. Love I, it. Agree. I, yeah, this one I thought was interesting. Um, everybody, I don't know if you've been to Disneyland, Disney World, any of those amusement parks. It's been a long time. Been a long time for a 30 year old guy. Yeah, so for me, I was in, which is in California. That's Disneyland, right? I can't remember if it's World or Land. I think land. it's Disneyland. So I, I, we had pictures. I was like two. That was the last time I was in okay. any of those Disneyland. But anyways, um, interesting enough in the news, um, there's a company that wants to build a Disneyland in Israel. Huh. Now, they picked an interesting city. They picked Demona. Isn't that the city with the nuclear reactor? Yeah, I was hoping you'd remember that. It actually is. But it seems it's a very poor area, and they could use that kind of influx of tourism and business. And I did pass that area once. It's a pretty wide open area. But what's interesting is they want to build a um, they want to build this Disneyland with Jewish values. And they've actually brought two rabbis on board to help them figure out how to That's do this. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I, I'm not sure what a ride with Jewish values would look like. Well, I think you got to start talking about what are the Jewish values that you want to emulate in a ride. I would think a great Jewish value is survivalism. Jews are survivors. How do we create a ride around survivalism? Oh, any roller coaster. Any roller coaster ride. I'm not for roller coasters. If you can survive the roller coaster, you survive. That is such an interesting thought. Only you would think that. A man who climbs mountains across the world, <laughs> across the globe. A right Tanzania, where do, where do you climb? We the... climb Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania, and I give the credit to my wife. She was the one who really made it happen. Really? Yes. That is so cool. You know, I, my mountains are sort of like, uh, for those in New York, you know, the Catskill Mountains, you go up, that's like a hill. That's not like a mountain. But uh, that would be cool. One day, I'll put that on my bucket list. You got it. It's the roof of Africa, the tallest mountain in Africa. One of the seven summits, actually. So isn't that like that? Is that where the tallest waterfall is? No, that's actually, I think, in Uganda. I think it's uh, Lake Victoria. That's Lake Victoria. Victoria. Yeah. Okay, that's my ninth grade history. Sorry, it's, got, it's going way back. No, 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 no. But no cool. So, okay, you said survivalism. I don't know. How about, I, I would think of a ride. Here's one for you. A friend needs a lift somewhere. You see a friend, you drive by, you say, can I give you a lift? So maybe they could have a ride where, for us older people, you know, we drive around a little car and open the door and we let somebody in on the ride. That would be fun. We, that's, that's every day in Uber. That's what, that's what, that's what happens that's today. That's every day in Uber. Yes, that's, which reminds me of another story in our trending news. Um, I was talking to you about it later. I forgot his name. Um, I don't know if you read this, Tony. There was a, a guy in a bar, college kid in a bar in, I believe, West Virginia. Okay. And he knew he had more than one too many. Even one is too many to drive, as I tell my children, and they're very good about it. So he, like a good citizen, he dials his Uber on his phone, and Uber comes to pick him up, and he wanted to go back to his college dorm room, which is probably a few miles from the bar. Hours later, he wakes up, and he finds himself in New Jersey, where he's from. 
And as he's looking at it, I guess you could tell on Uber, he has a $1,600 bill. That is one opportunistic Uber driver, in my opinion, Rabbi. Yes, but how? But have you ever taken Uber? I've taken a lot of Ubers. And right, so I you, would question you, before I drove to New Jersey with a super drunk guy in my backseat. <laughs> I mean, it's $1,600, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. If he yeah. says, take me home, I mean, that's his home. <laughs> I guess, yeah, we're not taking questions. That's an interesting thought. I didn't think about that. But what's more interesting is the poor fellow didn't know how to pay for this Uber ride. I mean, it's connected to your credit card. So the Uber driver got his money. He didn't deny it. He did one of these GoFundMes, and there was a company, and I was trying to look it up. I'm sure everyone online can find it. There was a, a company in New Jersey, I think a fruit uh, market or something, that said, we would like to pay. See, it would be nice if I remember the name. I could give them free advertising, which is what they wanted. But they paid his bill as an appreciation that you were off the street when you didn't belong there. What I'm curious about is the man wakes up in New Jersey after a $1,600 Uber bill. Does he then turn around and pay another 1600 to get back to West Virginia? Yes, I think he was home, so maybe he asked mm. his father for a ride. I'm not sure. After, after his, his father may have said, you're going to bike down to uh, back to West Virginia. Wonder how many classes he missed. It's definitely a bad hangover. Yeah, not good. So <laughs> I don't know Jewish values, rides. You thought survival rides, which really works better than uh, I guess my kind of ride. I mean, uh, what else, what other kind of ride could you have with Jewish values? I mean, we could have somebody like me giving a Torah lecture while you're sitting um, in a chair. That's not a very good ride. You could do Ten Commandments, right? Yeah, how am I going to do the Ten Commandments as a ride? You're going to go up the mountain and down the mountain, and you're going to throw the stones, and you're going to break them. Maybe. That would be kind of cool. Or th- things that things that the Jewish people are proud of. And even in uh, my generation, the, the modern generation, we might be proud of also different things for Israel. For example, the Air Force we know about Israel is something that Israelis are very proud of. In right, very, right. To be a pilot in the Israeli Air Force is the elite of the elite. Maybe you have a ride with a plane, and it takes them through the different G-forces of a plane, and you oh, take cool. them through some of the different battles of, of uh, Israel's history. Yeah, so I'm going to send them a message that instead of me giving them ideas, because mine are not too good, but Jason, maybe you should be on their list of advisors, because your ideas so far were pretty good, and mine, not so good. My consulting fees are negotiable, so you let them know. I will let them know, because uh, I don't think they're calling me. But moving <laughs> along... Moving along in this week's Torah portion, uh, very interesting. We talk about the architects. We talk about the two architects who are responsible. As Moses is responsible for everything, but he's not really involved in the building. He has two people who are the, I guess we'll call them the architects, head architects, whatever their official title is. One is actually a nephew of Moses from the tribe of Judah. His name is Bitzalel. Okay. So this is Bitzalel from the tribe of Judah. He was actually a young child. Sounds he, like nepotism. Then how did he get that job? He, interesting enough, you're not the first one to question Moses on nepotism. There was a famous man by the name of Korah who questioned the same. Um, actually, God tells Moses who to choose. Huh. And this child is special because his grandfather was killed. Uh, in last week's Torah portion, actually two weeks ago's Torah portion, trying to stop the Jewish people from building the golden calf. So there's almost like a reward in the family. However, the second uh, right-hand man to this B'Tzalel um, is a man from the name, a man from the tribe of Dun. Okay. So what's interesting is 
Judah is considered the elite of the tribes. We find this throughout um, uh, throughout the Torah. It's not a question; it's just a fact. We don't why this. We're not going to get into. And Dun, who has the famous Samson, by the way, comes from Dun. If you're familiar with his work, big strong man. Um, don't cut his hair. Don't cut his hair. Very good. So you know this story. Excellent. I knew you knew stuff. <laughs> just have to pull it out. So just seen the movie. I see, see no. the movie. And, uh, the, when when uh, Ashley was sitting here, she was talking about her vi- also movies, how she knows stuff. We got to find a way to learn stuff from reading it in the book besides the movies because they take some uh, liberalism with the story because it doesn't always translate so good. Anyways, Dunn is considered the lowest of the tribes in importance. Why that's how it worked is a good question. It just was a fact of life, and it seems they were all fine with it. Okay. But the point is we have somebody, we understand most important. Most important, we get the important tribe, important people. But Moses also took somebody from the least of the tribes. So if I asked you why do you think that was important, what would you tell me? A good leader needs to lead his people and have the people behind his, his work. I guess you need people from all sects or tribes in leadership positions. Interesting. I could take that. But I don't know if I would trust their skills necessarily as an architect or an engineer if they don't have the right qualifications. So it had to be some type of person is with an architect inside the Don tribe. Maybe Don could be the lowest level of the tribes. Maybe they built the best shelters. I have no idea. Yeah, me neither, by the way. But what's interesting is, which is, again, something to think about, we're, we're a year out from Egypt. In Egypt, we were bricklayers. We built cities. We did bricks. We weren't goldsmiths. We weren't silversmiths. Um, If we built those pyramids or not, I can't tell you who built those pyramids. We weren't architects. We we were trained for heavy manual labor. Mm -hmm. The last thing the Egyptians want is to make these Jewish slaves important. You want to beat them down. So the difficulty is we end up in the desert. We've been there for a year. We should have no skills. All the skills involved in the embroidery and the tapestries and the and the gold and copper work and even the the woodwork, all this kind of stuff really, we're gonna have to go back to our miracle again. We have a little bit of a problem. Because w- there's no way we knew how to do this stuff. There's just no way. So it was almost like a person who I don't know if you've ever discovered this, he so much wanted to be a part of building the tabernacle. So God gave him the ability. Now, I don't know exactly if that relates to an engineer, but have you ever seen somebody who works with you or yourself where you so much wanted to know what to do? It sort of came to you. Yeah, I mean, I I think you see it in athletics where somebody has the will to win so much that something superhuman, they, they gain that ability. They find the courage in the last 10 seconds of the race, something along those lines. So that's, that's an inner... Yeah, yeah, it could be, but there's no question. Somehow God had to put into these people this whole, just the ability to do all this stuff. So, but I think simply, and I think it's an important lesson, that it doesn't matter where you're from. You could be the most important, you could be the least important, but if God wants you to have the job, you could do the job. You don't must be the best. You don't must be from the most important political connected family. You could be from the least Important family, but God says, you want to do it? I'll give you that ability. But do you think that's also because God might know that if you err in that job, it is fixable for him? 
Hey, it's always fixable. <laughs> like so many things. Hey, I'm and I looking think at that's a, that's a good thought to leave our, our viewers with or our, uh, our listeners with. And uh, we'll take a short break, and then we'll be coming back with Let's Talk Torah with Rabbi Tzvi. What's going on in your neighborhood? They say it takes a village. It's the simple things. The things that are a testament to the old. And the things that are a testament to the new. Know what's going on in your community. Check out our community channel on NewRadioMedia.com. And action. And millions of ducks. Two guys go to NewRadioMedia.com. Arts and Entertainment Channel on New Radio Media dot com. It's all about you, and that's the way we like it. Where you're going. What you do to stay fit. What you're eating. What you're thinking and how you're feeling. Join the conversation at NewRadioMedia.com's Lifestyles channel. Stream the life you want to live. I think we're supposed to snap our fingers to this music. Yeah? Okay, so we're back. And again, if you still want to catch us, you want to talk about the tabernacle, or we're going to talk about accountants next for the accountants who are jealous of the, uh, of the engineers, you can call us 844-999-9249. 844-999-9249. Or, of course, you can go to our Facebook page, Let's Talk Torah. You can go to my email at letstalktorah@gmail.com. And I'll try to answer any of your good, intelligent questions. But um, as we're, I know we got to talk about Passover, but one last thing I, I saw in the news this week, and I, actually it was shocking. Um, I actually read this morning there was some lady who was over 60 who was scammed. Somebody on Facebook friended her. You, you read this? Not this one. Keep yeah, going. so somehow the guy said his car broke down in one country and he had to ship it to China. Talk about China. And he needed $24,000, and she shipped him $24,000. And she kept wiring the guy money till she figured out, like, who is this guy? So you always hear warnings about people being scammed. But interesting enough, there was a study. Do you know which group of people is scammed more than anybody else? Do tell. Do tell. Millennials. Fake news, come on. Fake news. What should I tell you? That, that's not my fake news. This is supposed to be real news. <laughs> Millennials more likely to get scammed than over age 60. Okay. You know, I, I, I think people who get scammed are, are, are people that, um, that they're desperate for money a lot of times. So they'll believe that this is a great scam, by the way. That's why this is a public service announcement for people who don't want to get scammed. What they'll do is, for example, this is a new one with the IRS and stuff, where... Um, they will get your 
um, whatever, your, your social security number, and they'll file one of these uh, IRS things, and they'll get you money to go to your account from the IRS. And as it comes in, I know my return goes straight into my bank account, and it says it came from the Internal Revenue Service. Okay. The problem is they're doing it to people who didn't file yet. So it comes in as the IRS gave you, I don't know, $5,000. And then they'll call you up. They say, this is the IRS. You probably noticed last week, Tuesday, you received $5,000. It was a mistake. We're very sorry. It's very important you send it back to us. So I'm going to give you a place to wire the money to, and please wire the money to this address. It's a great scam. It's a great scam. The IRS doesn't call, from what I know. They only work through mail. Right, and they keep trying to warn everyone. So all you millennials who are not paying attention, they're trying to warn you. And I've gotten letters from the IRS. File something. It was a question with my accountant, and he said, let's file it. Two years later, they say, we don't like it. I said, fine. So we refiled. It had to be refiled all through the mail. We didn't call. We didn't do anything. A couple letters back and forth. But uh, no, you're not supposed to receive phone calls from the IRS. So what would the generalization character trait be about why millennials would get scammed more than other people or than other age groups? I don't know. I was, I was hoping you would know. But I almost think because they're younger and sometimes when, you're, when you see money or you're desperate to, to come up with some money and, and something comes your way when it looks too good to be true – and you don't have enough experience to know that too good to be true is the only not thing true. I could think of is that it's a statistic, and millennials would be. I, I'm guessing most of the scamming happens by internet or by connectivity somehow. And as as an age group, millennials would be way more connected than other age groups. So there's just a greater percentage chance that they could be scammed. Ah, but not because they're not as uh, savvy. Sure, I, I think that there's just more. There's more clicks there. There's more opportunity there. There's there's more chances for millennials to. Said by a true millennial who does want to be... I have uh, to defend my, yeah. my group. See right? that? Gotta, gotta take care of them. Anyway, so what does that have to do with, what we're, with our Torah portion? So interesting enough, talk about accounting, talking about being uh, transparent was a word we used before. In last week's Torah portion, Moses is transparent. He actually gives an accounting of all the gold, silver, and copper that was collected. And at least the silver and copper, he actually showed them or told them how it was used, because easily you could imagine somebody like Moses, that anyone, you're going to question Moses on, on how he's using the money he collected? He's an important person. How dare you question Moses? You, I mean, you can imagine people, if you've ever met people in organizations, and you try to question them on, on uh, their finances, they, they don't take to it kindly. Same with the U.S. government. Any Anybody who has control over large sums of money, you question how they spend it. Any organization, I would say. But do they always answer you? Depends on the organization. Yeah, so it's interesting. We actually here in Detroit, many organizations are, I guess we'll call them under the umbrella of the Jewish Federation sure. of Metropolitan Detroit. That's you familiar with their work? I am. So the main, besides they, of course, you know, give a lot of charity to these organizations, but the... I would almost call it the main responsibility of the Federation is their financial oversight, where we have to hand in our, fin our finances. It's an open book. How much is collected? How much is tuition? How much is this? How much we spend? How much is salaries? And you're in a room full of accountants, probably no engineers, but for sure a room of accountants, and they just want to make sure that your organization is being run honestly, 
that uh, you're fiscally responsible and they don't have to worry one day somebody showing up and saying, oops, which has happened, by the way, not to Yeshiva Sachi Torah, but it's happened to organizations where, oops, we made a mistake, we're short like a million dollars. Mr. Federation, please help us. Right? That's what they're trying to stay away from. So Moses actually gives this full-fledged accounting and he's trying to teach everybody transparency. No matter how great you are, how important you are, your donors give you money, they have a right to ask what's being done. On a transparency note, I can't remember the name of the person, um, but this I, I think it's one of those uh, um, Dale Carnegie books. He talks about how with steel now, steel's in the news with okay. the tariffs yep. and stuff. So whichever great steel company back in the 1900s, so he was a very charitable man. Was Carnegie. It? Carnegie probably was probably Andrew Car- Carnegie. Carnegie is how you pronounce his name? Uh, I think he was Scottish, but uh, I, I, I always I say Carnegie. Um, so he sent somebody a dollar. Some college, he sent them a dollar. The executive director was a smart fellow. He sent back a whole letter and explained what was done with a dollar. Well, guess what happened next year when he asked him for money? He got $2. No, I think he got more than $2. <laughs> I don't know exactly how much, but he did well. But I know we got to get into Passover. So... So, Jason, I have to ask you, what are your, I know you're going to Israel this year, you'll be with family, nothing like family, Passover is a real family holiday. What's some good memories about Passover you could share with us? I have good memories of, uh, of my Zaydi, of my grandfather, from, uh, from our Seder table. And uh, my Zaydi is Yichol Mechaim. He's, uh, he passed about nine years ago, but he would lead our Seder. And he's the one who taught me how to lead a Seder. And now I carry that tradition forward to my family. That is amazing. I, I have to be really honest on this one. I do remember my grandfather leading the Seder, but that is my low moment of my memories of Passover Hmm. because I was a little kid. So let me tell you what happened. In your house, for those who aren't familiar, um, one of the things to keep children awake is we hide a piece of matzah. We take the matzah, we break it in half. Half is hidden for later on. It keeps the children excited. They're, They're looking for it. They're hiding it. Who and because hides? they know they get presents when they find oh, that half piece of afikoma, that's, right? It's the presents that keep the children engaged. It doesn't matter what we pay them with, but that's definitely the goal. We do it everywhere. We give prizes. We call them incentives nowadays. Fair enough. <laughs> but so it sounds like in your house, your Zaydi hid the matzah? It was, the, yes. And now it, it is the leader of the Seder who's responsible for hiding the matzah. And sometimes he could delegate that job. Oh, that's cool. So in my house, and you'll soon find out why, um, actually, my children steal it from me. They actually gang tackle me, so it's just easier to give it to them. And they hide it somewhere in the house, and I'm supposed to pretend to look for it later because you know if I would get close to finding it, um, that wouldn't go over well. So my Zadie also, my grandfather hid it. And the prize, this will date me, the prize for finding it was a quarter. That was the prize. Okay. That is not the prize my children received. They've already asked for a, um, um, a uh, what do we call it? They want the money in advance. They asked for an advance. <laughs> I said, why? Come on, you know, you're giving this anyways. Just, I need the money now. Fine. I couldn't find it. It was actually under the tablecloth right next to me. That's a classic hiding place. I was I so upset. I think I was like six. I was so upset that I couldn't find it that I said, when I run my Seder, when I run the Passover Seder, I'm not hiding it. My kids will hide it. I won't find it. Everyone will be happy. Because it's like funny, the memories we had. That's what I remember. 
I'll, I'll tell one story that uh, that I think makes sense and it's poignant to today if we get to the word of the day um, because we're talking about money here yes, in money. terms of incentive on the Afikoman. And what my Zadie did is he gave us all each year uh, some type of uh, old coin, silver dollar, or he was a coin collector. And whether these coins have more value than the silver, I'm not sure. I think it varies from coin to coin, but he acquired them throughout his life when he was younger and then passed them forward to me, my two sisters, and my cousins uh, growing up. So now we have all these coins from all these years, um, and it's a pretty impressive collection. That is cool. I actually have a son who's very into um, coin collecting, and that's actually why he wanted in advance because he actually wanted to buy some coins to fill up. He has so many books, I have no idea. But he wanted to fill up one of his books. He said, if I have, nothing is free. If I have a couple dollars, I could get this coin and this coin. And we said, fine. So he's actually filling it up. But those coins, yeah, he would love to see your coins. He, I don't know how he got into it, but I might he, have he a portion it. there. We, I might be able to retire, and I don't even know. It's the, it's the uh, it, it remains to be seen. And clearly you're not uh, checking it out uh, anytime soon. It's, it's the value. The, the importance to us was not just the value of whatever that coin is. You were good kids. You see? Now, see, my kids, the importance is going to the store and buying a present, which in other trending news, by the way, um, I don't know if you heard Toys R Us is probably going through bankruptcy now. Uh -huh. They're looking for a buyer. They're not going to find one. Toys R Us would be the kind of place after the Afikoman, you take your kids, they check here, they go there, they look at the Legos or the dolls or the games, but they can't compete of with course, an after Amazon. Of course, after Yantif. <laughs> As long as I can get away with waiting, but uh, so back back to Moses and the accounting. Why is the accounting of the gold, silver, and copper in the same Torah portion as Passover? Why is that mentioned in that place? Oh, so let me back up on this one. I clearly was not. I clearly was not clear. I'm not sure if that's a real sentence. Last week's Torah portion is discussing the building of the tabernacle. Okay, the Passover story uh, was many weeks ago. In other words, we leave Egypt. That's the beginning of the book of Exodus. So you have the beginning of Exodus where slaves. Then we get to the next two Torah portions where there's the ten plagues. After the ten plagues, we leave Egypt. Then we get to the next Torah portion called B'Shalach where we uh, go into the Red Sea. The Egyptian army is destroyed. Then we go get the Torah in the next Torah portion. Then we get laws. Then we build the tabernacle. Got it. I thought we were coming up to a Seder, not just in real life coming up to a Seder. I thought we were coming up to maybe a Seder in the desert. Yeah, uh, no, with, we're, we're really, really right now, even though time-wise, time in other words, on the calendar, it happens to be that they are getting close to, to another Passover Seder. It's true, because when this Torah portion ends, um, it's about 14 days before Passover. But that's not why I brought it up. Gotcha. Hey, we brought it up because we want to make sure we tell everybody all about Passover. So just a, a quick one before we, we, we move along. Um, cleaning. Did you ever have to help your mother clean? Was cleaning a fun thing for a Passover? Was it stressful? It wasn't a thing that we did so thoroughly in our house. We were fortunate enough to have a second kitchen downstairs that we, we would pass over kitchen. Oh. But I always remember about the feather, the wooden spoon, and the candle. And I never really understood how functional that was, but that's what you were supposed to do. Right. That is fantastic. And uh, as I'm getting, do you say he's giving me the finger? I'm not supposed to say that. But um, I see we're getting close. We're going to save that 
for our uh, for good deal our... good deal i'm glad i posed a good question that we can talk after a short break because i definitely want to know if using a feather and a wooden spoon is the best way to clean up comets so give us a couple minutes and then we will talk torah with rabbi Tzvi. want to stay informed entertained and enlightened get connected and stay connected today to new radio media the new radio media app is now available for download in the Apple and Google Play Store. Just search for NRM Streams for unlimited access to archived, live, new, exciting, and unique content. Welcome to Geektainment Weekly. All for free. Do it now. Stay connected. <laughs> And millions of ducks. Two guys go to newradiomedia.com. The Arts and Entertainment Channel on New Radio Media. Dot com. What's going on in your neighborhood? They say it takes a village. It's the simple things. The things that are a testament to the old. And the things that are a testament to the new. Know what's going on in your community. Check out our community channel on newradiomedia.com. It's all about you, and that's the way we like it. Where you're going. What you do to stay fit. What you're eating. What you're thinking. And how you're feeling. Join the conversation at NewRadioMedia.com's Lifestyles channel. Stream the life you want to live. Okay, we're back, and with our few minutes left, if you want to still try to get through uh, through Drew on the other side, that's 844-999-9249, 844-999-9249. And Jason left us off with a great question. Yeah, let's 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 take it slow. So, Jason, remind me. Let's let's start. We talked about cleaning for Passover. That was a memory I had, and I it wasn't something that we did in our household. But I remember that you're supposed to clean with a wooden spoon, a feather, and a candle. Why would we do that when we have Dyson vacuums and when we have brooms and mops and other things? Why would I use a feather and a wooden spoon? Great question. So there's there's two parts to the cleaning. A little bit. I was actually reading up on this yesterday. If you lived 150 years ago, 200 years ago, I mean, I tell my class I'm like 750, and we fight about it. I one time had a boy who said, it's impossible you're 700. I said, why? He said, because uh, your hair would have to be pure white, and your hair is not pure white. So another boy pops up and says, oh, my grandfather is 70, and he has red hair. He didn't know red hair takes longer to get white. Comes back the next day, and he says, you for sure can't be older than 300. So I said, uh, okay, we're, we'll, we'll discuss this. You're with, negotiating. Uh, we're, yeah, we're negotiating. But um, in any case, 
Um, they lived in in one or two room houses. There were no kitchens. There was no. I mean, what did you have? A couple roll out mats. Uh, you cooked outside. The cleaning of the house was not a big deal. So what happens is the rabbis said they weren't cleaning weeks and weeks and weeks before Passover. Pretty much, they wanted the night before Passover you got to clean your house. They didn't have cabinets filled with box of Cheerios and macaroni and bread. I mean, they made fresh bread every day. You, you, they didn't live that way, where, where they had a storage pantry with all kinds of food like we have. So you're going to clean up the night before. A candle, again, they didn't have flashlights. So a candle is very good for going into corners. A torch, you can't see so well. Okay. So you do it at night. You can go into the cracks and crevices. And it seems, as I was reading, the walls of the houses were not the nice sheetrock painted or smooth. They were rocks and lots of crevices. And it seems like they actually would hide food in there. So could I argue that sometimes things make sense to keep tradition from the old ways because that's how they did it in the old ways. But now, could we use modern tools? The answer is yes and yes. So what happens in many Jewish houses, because of the tradition to start with a candle and the feather and the spoon, we walk around for a minute or two, giving a little glance, holding the feather, holding the spoon. Then we put it down. Out comes the flashlight, which is more than one candlelight power. And then... Again, because our houses are so large and we have clothes and we have cabinets and we have pantries and things that we sell, that we lock away. So um, we've really been cleaning the house for weeks because you can't search houses our size well in, in 20 minutes or half an hour. You can't do it in the whole evening. So really, really, it's a very um, – because we've been cleaning so long and so – over the top sometimes, it's a much faster cleaning because we've really done it. So we keep the tradition. So we have the feather, we have the spoon, we have the candle. But pretty much after the blessing, and again, it's dangerous. You're going to go under a bed with a candle. I mean, this is dangerous. Our father was a volunteer fireman for many, many years. Mm. So we start with the tradition, but then we become modern. And the vacuum cleaners are used, and the flashlights are used, and the bags are used, and any brushes or whatever you need. So very good question. And uh, yes, it's the modern meets tradition, and we put it all together. But as our time is winding down, I must get to our letter of the week. So hopefully, uh, Jake will put up my letter of the week. Is Jake alive? Jake is alive. Okay, I just can't see him. There he is. I won't repeat what I said before. Okay, so we have a letter up there. This is the letter, the chaf or kaf letter. It's actually two letters in one because it has a kaf sound when there's a dot inside. It has a cha sound when there's no dot inside. Um, its numerical value is 20. It has a similar shape to the tabernacle that we were describing before. You've got a, in this case, it's a side wall and then the upper and lower and the Front is open. It's rounded on the sides. Interesting enough, the letter itself has a meaning. And as in Hebrew, if you put this cuff in front of a word, it actually means like. Ke, ka. It means like. So it's a, it's a word that's, it's a letter that's added to many, many words. And a, a lesson from this letter is we don't have to always show off that we know everything for sure. It's like. I think it probably works out. I think it makes sense. We don't have to always say with 100% authority that it must be my way. 
But the word I wanted this week is a great word. We've been talking about it the whole show. The word is kesef. And Jay said, what does kesef mean? Money, 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 money. Kesef means money. So I had a money story. I always like to have a, a money story to help us remember the word. So here's a beautiful story, Passover story. Man comes his rabbi, and again, we haven't discussed too much about Passover. The next couple weeks, we're going to have to hit Passover a little harder. Man comes his rabbi and says, Rabbi, I can't afford wine. We, we hopefully are familiar with it by the Passover. Say there, everybody drinks four cups of wine. All kinds of wine. People like fancy wine. My kids like grape juice. But four cups of wine. So the man goes to his rabbi, and his rabbi, I can't afford wine. But I got a cow in my backyard. Can I have four glasses of milk instead of four glasses of wine? That was the question. So the rabbi says, no. The rabbi says, you got you to gotta have wine. Here's 300 ruble. So when he leaves, the wife says uh, to her husband, he needs wine. It costs a couple dollars for a bottle of wine. Why did you give him 300 ruble? So he said to his wife, he said, if he's having milk, for the Seder, he's not having any meat. Obviously, the man has no money, not for wine or for meat. I gave him money to take care, like we talked about with our uh, with our uh, Chinese auction before. And I know our time is winding down amazingly fast. And Jason, we've had so much fun. But Jason, if you could, in a few seconds left, um, what did you learn today? I think we learned that uh, the Torah has certain items that we need to take on faith and take as miraculous in terms of the engineering abilities and the decision-making that sometimes in the Bible, uh, sometimes you just have to say, this is miraculous, that this is how it worked. That was one of the big takeaways. I think another big takeaway is money still makes the world go round in some items, and it has a relationship in, uh, in good and bad, but let's find in, in good deeds that can be done with money. Excellent. I am so happy and I so appreciate you came and hopefully we'll bring you back. Um, thank you to our wonderful sponsors and listeners. I couldn't do it without you. Thank you to my wonderful production team. We have Drew, Tony, and Jake here today. I hope I left you some food for thought. Until next week, I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on New Radio Media. And until next week, don't forget to think about it. The brain naturally shrinks as you go older. Now there's research that indicates that the rate of shrinkage increases if you drink alcohol. Your brain volume naturally decreases by about 2% for every decade you live. And in the past, scientists have speculated this rate could be slowed with moderate alcohol intake because it appears to improve your heart function and your blood flow. But now, however, the U.S. researchers have found what they call a significant negative relationship between the amount of alcohol that you consume and your brain volume. A study involving nearly 2,000 men and women found a significant difference in the brain volumes of people who were moderate drinkers and those who were teetotalers. And the association was especially strong in women. So the bottom line, say the experts, is that while moderate alcohol consumption may help your heart and blood flow, it offers no protective effect on your brain volume. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman.